Community Development Podcast, doing what it says on the tin, hopefully, connecting CD practitioners, sharing our learning and promoting the, the overall value to a community development approach. Uh, my name is Russell Todd. Thank you for all of the feedback and the follows on, on, on Twitter and LinkedIn to date. And uh, I'm in Cardiff and I have the pleasure of the company of Chris Ashman. How are you, Chris? I'm great, thanks, Russell. How are you? Yeah, good, good. Um, we're distracted by football matches taking place tonight, but we're going to try to park that and remain focused and disciplined. We're going to talk about community development, but we're going to look at it through the prism of regeneration, a term that is used an awful lot, perhaps not necessarily consistently. It's used in different ways by different sectors. I was reading a blog on, over the weekend by way of preparation for this from uh, Renacy, where someone was talking about how community regeneration has replaced community development uh, as an industry is what they said, which I was, had some reservations about, but was very much talking about it from a London perspective about how that's led to gentrification and the breaking up of existing, pre-existing social networks and, and, and didn't necessarily speak of that that change in language, if that is also reflective of a change in approach and, and perhaps philosophy, didn't speak about it particularly positively. So I wanted to probe that. We've had these conversations before. We were having them before we started and we've had to... You know, kind of keep our powder dry. But first of all, Chris, what do people need to, to know about you? First of all, I think it's nice to be thought of in the context of being a community development practitioner because uh, you know, my, my, all of my experience has been in that term, under that term regeneration, which as you say has been a contested one, to such an extent where I am now um, a director of regeneration for the Isle of Wight Council. Been there now for seven months and very much saw that as a the right kind of move uh, to take forward some of the, the thoughts and learning that, that I've pr- been progressing in Wales. A brief time in London uh, before going to the Isle of Wight, interestingly, in the Thames Gateway, places that were experiencing that gentrification that you talked about along the, the other end of the, the Crosslink mm-hmm. uh, tunnel. Um, massive increases in property regeneration there and values and quite a post-industrial community mm-hmm. along the Thames North Kent coast. Mm. So it was really interesting to, to be there for, for six months. But prior to that, I um, was running my own small consultancy practice here, working a lot with Communities First and taking forward a concept which we'll come back to later uh, called place planning. But in essence, identified that I needed a bit of a change, if I'm honest. And uh, London was interesting. I've always wanted to work there. And then this Isle of Wight opportunity just came along basically literally out of the blue and uh, it's looking really promising and um, I think what I'm finding is I'm able to to take a lot of the the good stuff that we've done in Wales and try and apply that in that new context but also to act on some of the things I think we haven't quite cracked in a Welsh context and being able to do that in more of a a leadership role Mm. within a council Mm. is something that I've probably missed from my CV up to now you get to a certain point in your career where you like to think everything you've done to a certain point has, uh, can be focused on making a major difference, which is what we're all trying to do at the yeah, end of the day. Yeah. And uh, I think this may be it. So from uh, for a whole range of reasons, which I might return to later, I'm enjoying myself enormously. I'm missing Wales terribly for a whole host of reasons. But um, football is, uh, is is still bringing me back, so I still kept my... Cardiff season city season ticket, uh, and obviously I'm grateful for that, given where, where things are going at the moment. So yeah, Wales and, and family <laughs> and, and, and football keep me uh, keep me interested. So obviously I keep um, I try and keep uh, in seven months 
I've tried to keep on top of how things have been going here uh, and still obviously follow things like community development podcast mm. and other mm. things mm. and lots of people still on Twitter um, to just just hopefully still contribute in some way and I'm, I'm delighted to be able to do this through this through this podcast because the policy I suppose the arena if you like in Wales is changing because of the, the, the Wellbeing of Future Generations Act and it's something I'd like to kind of look at and explore um, a bit more a bit more sort of dedication I suppose and a bit more sort of time and, and, and emphasis and focus in, in due course and you know with its requirement um, you know around engagement with communities encouraging communities to you know, identify you know the issues that affect them to have a role in identifying the solutions of those but looking things very very holistically and I suppose as well you know just the term well-being and having that quite prominent in the sort of the lexicon, the, you know, the language that we use, because that's not something to my mind, and happily stand corrected on this, whenever I've seen stuff around regeneration in the past, well-being doesn't really seem to figure. And I suppose I've always had a, I'd like to think a healthy, as opposed to some sort of cynical critique of these things or criticism of these things, and, and, and a healthy concern is that all too often some of the regeneration that we talk about is of physical buildings, you know, it's about you know large-scale infrastructure, yeah. sort of roads and, and things like that. Yeah. Clearly there's a time and a place for that. But if it's not involving people and it's not taking them along with it, then what's the point? And my argument would be that community development allows people to be not just brought along, kind of in the wake, but actually can be placed kind of front and centre of that process, but doesn't always happen. happen. Correct. Whether that's through the design or the configuration of the approach and the programmes or the way of the funding or some of the other kind of apparatus All around it. The governance, you heard a lot about the governance yeah. of regeneration because the demands of, of partnership arrangements and cross-sector work and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And all of that sounds kind of messy and complicated and high-level and strategic and, and, I don't know, people get potentially a bit squeezed out. They do. You're absolutely right. Let's go back to basics. Regeneration in terms of the, the Google definition, it, it's a verb. Yeah, it's the act or process of being regenerated and you know, for, the, for the man on the street uh, and as I've done in the new job you know, when, when you talk to people about regeneration their immediate default uh, position is about improvements to the physical environment it's about better housing it's about better roads it's about trying to create more business premises it's, it's, it's about better high streets better public realm all of those things that Areas that suffer decline, yeah, that concept of decline, yeah, this idea of, of places seeing better days, yeah, mm-hmm. that's the default view. Mm-hmm. And despite the move from, I felt, particularly during the late 90s and then into the 2000s, on a national level, despite the move towards thinking about regeneration in a much more rounded sense, people and place, yeah, yeah. which tended to then, in its eventual progression, came through in in policy terms in Wales through Vibrant and Viable Place. Um, we've almost gone back, I think, you know, to a certain degree, and I reflect on it in, in terms of the role I'm in now and the reasons for that, um, towards regeneration being about the physical again yeah, and still being about the physical. People can't get away from that, that sense that it's, it's about that um, places that look better do better. Right. Yeah? Um, and it's... Let's be honest, in terms of the complexity, while some regeneration tasks, uh, physical regeneration tasks, may on the face of it appear complicated, they're nowhere near as complex as some of the social issues, that, the wicked issues, if you yeah. like, that we've all been yeah. 
working on and trying mm-hmm. to tackle mm-hmm. for, for, you know, well, the whole career, really. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to me from, to, you know, um, people, people at the other end of the phone or the podcast might re- recoil when I mention this, but it goes back to my time in, when I worked at Cardiff Bay. That's where my, I feel like my vocation around the new generation agenda was crystallised really. Mm. I was doing outreach employment work with ethnic minority job seekers in the docks, yeah? And all of a sudden we had this kind of behemoth of an urban development corporation arriving in the south of Cardiff. It was going to completely transform the whole of the docks area by building this massive barrage and creating a new waterfront. And I had all these guys looking for work, you know, kind of wet themselves with excitement mm. about, you know, mm. well, this is going to be great, we're going to, going to get new jobs, that's fantastic, but how is that going to happen? So I, I found myself working for the Urban Development Corporation because I'd been working with local job seekers. They said, look, you know, politically, we're going to need to see these benefits go to local people. If we're going to get some difficult infrastructure things through the process, the planning process, because they had no planning powers, mm. yeah? Mm. That's the theme we'll come back to. Um, we need to evidence politically with a small p that there is that benefit to communities, mm. yeah? Now, when we look back now, 20 years ago, the kind of consensus view is, oh, well, that big, massive regeneration, fantastic for Cardiff. You know, it's transformed its its image and identity. We've gone now on, on into the city centre. But it kind of passed by the people of, of Butown and mm. Docks. And clearly, in terms of you look at the deprivation and, and obviously working with some mm-hmm. of the community's first partnerships there, um, you know, that evident, evidential benefit is still is still questioned, yeah. Well, I I was there, you know, in first hand, building training centres, uh, putting in customised training clauses into infrastructure contracts, yeah, and developing customised training programmes with places like St David's Hotel, mm-hmm. um, Harry Ramsden's, all of these different types of companies, uh, Nippon Electric Clash, yeah, mm-hmm. manufacturing yeah, yeah, plant. Yeah all with a specific focus of how communities from the Butown and, and Dock wider, but wider Bay Area could participate in accessing those job opportunities. So even in that 1990s Thatcherite, you know, post-Thatcherite mm. environment of what regeneration was about, there was a recognition that politically with a small p, it had to be more rounded. It needed to be. Mm. And what I learned from my experience there I then took with me um, into into my first job in local government in in Monaghan and Taff, and you know started talking to guys there. You know, first job in the valleys, yeah. Mm-hmm. About well, um, what kind of capitals? What kind of capital investment are you going to be making in in the next five years? And yeah, you know, my job was to write a community plan, mm. first one for Monaghan and Taff, two thousand two three. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, oh, we're going to be building a, a bypass right up the middle of the valley, mm. um, up through Port. I said, all right. I said, any any thought of putting in training, you know, social benefit clauses into that contract? Oh, the Welsh Government had talked about something about being a pilot for right. doing that, yeah? I said, well, yeah, absolutely. You know, you need to do that. You need to have that as part of the, the contract relationship. And this is how you do it. Oh, my lawyer's not very keen. So all the way through, wherever I've been, yeah, there's been an appetite there to link that strategic investment, yeah, change agenda, at a capital level, with direct benefits. Mm-hmm. And for me, it all it's all come down to a question. After twenty years or so, 
it, for me, it's all come down to a question of scale. Right. What became clear to me when I was working at RCT was that the Pontaclines and the Mardis were very, very different places. And they both needed, in terms of a public service response, and when we talk about regeneration, mm. we're talking about people in place, mm. the whole aspects, mm. the whole spectrum of change mm. in, in somebody's life, yeah? whether it's housing, education, yeah? all of that is, is, is under the uh, jurisdiction overview of a public sector body, most notably a local authority. Mm. Okay? So in, a, in the context taking Rhonda Kanatafa's example, the idea that you could plan and deliver services across that spectrum, economic development, whatever it was, on a uniform basis in Pontaclean and in Mardi was a bit kind of crazy for me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with other guys working there, people, people like Sheila Davis, for example, I again mentioned it in the passing, um, thinking about areas mm. of the county and, you know, Communities First was coming on at the same time and the idea that you could actually see localities and deprived wards coming together to tackle their own challenges, but then doing that in isolation of their wider context, or even their slightly wider context, yeah, was seen, again, seemed to be a bit crazy. So there was an appetite, really, to try and look at what kind of optimum population do we need to plan for in terms of addressing this more sustainable, sustainable development. For me, regeneration and sustainable development are the same things. Yeah. So at what level do we need to do that? We looked at geography, yeah, and we looked at service um, efficiency, yeah, so things like social care, um, how they how the area teams you know, worked, what what size of, of caseloads they were working with, how the, even the environmental services departments, you know, the depots, how they worked, yeah. Mm-hmm. What was their catchment, what was their interaction relationships with their local population? Mm-hmm. So we came to the conclusion there was populations of between th- around 30,000 was what would be the optimum level. And again, it, I was thinking about it only then in, in terms of around the kind of tap. Yeah. But then I thought, well, as, as I moved then into the Heads of the Valleys programme, yeah, big, street, just big mm-hmm. strategic mm-hmm. programme working for Welsh Government, looking at June and the A465, all well and good, some strategic projects, you know, Welsh Government wanted to see, you know, tourism as a major um, growth opportunity, growth sector. But we all always, at the beginning, recognised that unless we had a regeneration strategy that had an impact at, the, at that 30,000 population level, and of course we were blessed in that context because what we had was 10 valleys, yeah? All with about 30,000 population in them, mm-hmm. as it happens. Mm-hmm. So what we asked the authorities to do was say, well, okay, guys, we understand the strategic stuff, and you, you get your bit of that, Merthyr Town Centre will get regenerated, Aberdeer. Yeah, Ebervale steelworks site, massive, fantastic. Yeah, but what we also want from you is we want an evidence-based plan for those localities. Yeah, for those ten valleys. Yeah, that tells us what the current performance is across economic, social, and environmental indicators. Yeah, where the deficits are in comparison to county county averages. We weren't going beyond the Wales or mm-hmm. just within mm-hmm. your own county. Mm-hmm. How are those areas doing? Right. We will fund programs that tackle those deficits. We won't do anything else. It's got to be able to measurably benefit those areas. They did it. They knew they, they had to do it to get the cash. Mm. Yeah. As a result, they they were kind of forced into thinking in those terms about well, what, what kind of resources were in play here. 
started to learn more then at that point about the total place stuff that had been going on prior prior to 2010 um, in England, which was looking at all of the public sector resource base in a particular well it, it was a county mm. as it happened um, and how would that be better managed and planned to tackle the evidenced needs yeah so taking all that that learning from heads of the valleys into the western valleys yeah similar another eight valleys again holistic area regeneration plans yeah linked to some of these strategic opportunities most of the guys in the authorities said we have to bother with all of this. Yeah, just give us the grants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know we, everybody. Our members know what needs doing. There's more than enough to do. We don't have to be intelligent about this in that sense, in a nice way. Yeah, there's you, know, you whatever whatever you give us, it'll never be enough. Mm. So just just do it. Um, so we, we agreed that you know no, we need those plans. We need you know, we need to be set in the context. Yeah. So this was pre the Wellbeing Act. Mm. Yeah. So where did it go? Where, where did it go after that? Well, Welsh government decided to take a different direction. They went away from this concept of small numbers of regeneration areas, and it, within those then these these area action plans, if you like, yeah, and went for the vibrant and viable places program, where it was open to everybody. The budget was a lot smaller, so it needed to to have a bigger impact. But the principles within that policy context were the same and welcome, which was by that time my time at Welsh Government had come to an end. It was a five years of comment. Yeah, that's when I started doing my own stuff. Mm-hmm. Then I started mm-hmm. working mm-hmm. with you yeah. on some of the yeah. community's first stuff. But the idea then that VVP took another year to come along, but well, the welcome bit around it was a, a clear recognition of, of establishing a better link between physical and social regeneration. One final point on that is that I always see as a regret, you know, I was very cognizant of the fact that there were 58 communities first partnerships in the heads of valleys. And my mission, if you like, at that time was not seeing this area regeneration plan process being much more closely integrated with the partnerships in those localities. Yeah. Because scale was changing within communities first yes, as well was. around that time. It was. From lots of 140 odd smaller units to 50 odd yes. larger units, so huge rationalisation. So yes. it's interesting you talk about the numbers and, and almost the, the coincidence of those 30,000 units, and if you like, within yeah. the heads of the valleys. Absolutely. We went from, you've gone from 50 odd um, so partnerships excited. in the heads of the valley alone to would, 50 units then, exactly. albeit far larger. I was so excited about that. I was so excited about that happening because I could see immediately a synergy between a larger cluster based approach of partnerships. And um, uh, the the thirty thousand targeted regeneration investment, physical mm. regeneration investment, the complementarity between the capital and the revenue investment, between yeah, because that's always been a problem for Welsh government how they get those two to to, to buddy up. Mm. Yeah, mm. that was so exciting for me. And again, I I, it's, I kind of lost now as to why all that kind of didn't come to pass in a in a. In a you know in a uh, in a progressive way, because um, I, I I helped with a number of part well through your contract helped with a number of partnerships de- developing their delivery plans. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think for me I think one of the issues has been that 
because I think the other kind of thing that was happening was this increased focus within communities first on outcomes. So rather than the outputs, how many people have gone through courses and and you know how much um, you know additional grant has been has been levered in off the back of the communities first investment from other sources, that there was this increased focus on outcomes, and that was that's fine conceptually because I think you know the whole. The whole demand for, or the whole requirement then to, to have improved and increased well-being That comes back to that measurement that. agenda yeah. I was talking about. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but there was an, an emphasis on that, and I think actually we actually, with the bigger units as well, I think in the process of transitioning up to those larger units, I think we did lose a few people along yeah. the way. Yeah. Residents, community activists, right. members. Yes, I agree. Having said that, I, I think the other element of this, and I think it's always quite an obvious one, is, is sort of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other thing that I think also with that is that when we started Communities First, we had a lot of people in their late 50s, early 60s getting involved. They knew communities well. They lived through the miners' strike. They lived through, you know, de-industrialisation in, in not just the coal field, in docks areas and, and everything like that. Ten years later, when this is all changing, we haven't blooded enough people to follow on. And then I'm in the early 70s, mid 70s. Yeah. And they've just got older. Yeah. And I think actually we missed the succession planning. And so actually we lost a lot of people who could have informed that or helped at least anchor that, questioned it. I think also, frankly, we had this narrative around involving communities. Okay, that's fine. But if you look at even just a simple Arnstein ladder of participation, there has to be more than just involving them. I think there were a few notable exceptions to that. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Some of the the more enlightened areas. You see people now who've gone into a political life, who've gone into, you know, wanted to see decisions and resources change to reflect the needs of their populations. They're an exception rather than the rule. I agree, I agree. I mentioned sort of governance of regeneration, the need for all of these kind of different partners in different sectors. We're talking now what, 2010, 11, 12, around that time, and it's post-credit crunch, the squeeze on, on public finances is, is becoming apparent. A lot of the stories about how bad it was going to get were being, yeah, yeah. Were being narrated. And within that governance arrangement, is it, is it all too easy for local people to be, to be squeezed out? Not just determining what the solutions are, but also actually what matters to them, because you know, we've had this with, with post-Brexit in you know, a lot of the Valleys communities, for instance, and it leaves me cold to a large extent the number of times that... You know, Valleys communities are used as some sort of proxy for you know other people's frustration with how that vote went. Yeah, it's lazy. But, but that bypass that goes up through Porth, up through the Ronda, people don't necessarily feel they don't necessarily feel that change. They don't feel the benefit that that's potentially brought. Yeah. Um, and it's not for me to say that there was a benefit. The, the perception is important. We talk about this yeah. very, very kind of neighbourhood level, you know, yeah. less than community level, drilling even deeper we're working on just the estates or the, you know, the top of the estate or whatever. Yeah. We used to feel this with crime community safety issues. The perception was often far worse than the actual reality. Yeah. But that is what affects people's behaviours. That's what yeah. changes where they go, how late they stay out, you know, and things yeah. like that. Yeah. So that perception is, is key. Yeah. If people don't feel it, and this, this uplift to greater units, to larger scales, longer-term indicators, more outcome-based indicators, there's a danger that people just don't see the change on their doorstep. And totally right, and totally spot-on as far as the well-being agenda is concerned, because every, every aspect of that is excellent, apart from its scale. Because the idea of an, a set of 50-odd national indicators, yeah, and even then maybe 30 of those at a local authority level, as I said earlier on, yeah, that is going to make the slightest bit of difference to somebody in a locality. Localities yeah. is the key. Yeah. So, don't want to go back over it, but we, we purposely set aside 
some of the budget in the heads of the valleys to be accessed by third sector organisations, mm. by what you might call those community hub-based organisations. What they did in terms of improving a new family centre or you know, a childcare facility mm. or an, an arts club or whatever it might be, yeah, those things had a much more disproportionate impact, as you say, on people's mindset and attitude than any of the, you know spend on the paving through the high street yeah. for example yeah so we were always in anxious to see that degree of balance and i think the concern for me is that all the machinery is absolutely spot on for well-being yeah but its scale is going to pass people by yeah so that idea of what do we you know, we're not as good as the next valley in terms of the number of jobs available mm. to under 25s unless you plan and communicate at that level mm. that we have got a problem mm-hmm. or we don't have a problem, we're actually doing really well on, on this particular issue, unless you communicate that, and communication is the key, communicate all of that at, a, uh, at the right level. And I, t- I, I agree with you that the issue is, is what, what's the right level for, for communities? You know? Because some of the communities we work with will only be interested in what's happening in the next street mm. yeah, or on that estate. Whereas in the 30,000 populations I'm talking about, you're looking at significant chunky subsets of local authority areas. So in towns like Neath, for example, your population of 30,000, Neath is a town, but within it, the differences between parts of Neath are... I, I, so I get, I get that, um, but within that, I think you, you can still evidence the benefits at, at, at that level within those areas and that's why I'm I'm so frustrated you know and, and you probably know better than me because I've been out of it for a while now but what is the plan B for that lo- localities within localities yeah what is that response going to be now in terms of empowerment and community in well, c- community action you know, for want yeah. of a better word yeah in the English context I, mean, you know, I was really interested to understand about this principle of community organising. Brought the guy over from um, from England to have a chat with one of the Welsh Government Ministers and said, look, you know, yeah, how is this different to Communities First then, Chris? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I said, well, it's got a different focus to it yeah, in terms of that, that principle of communities being, it, it's not dependent upon that grant support from Welsh Government. It's about communities actually owning that process and being serviced to do that. I think anything that actually lifts, call it community organising as an approach, it exists whether there's programmes or not. It exists outside of programmes. I think one of the problems we have with Communities First is it began to sort of suffocate all of the activity right. in such a way that, well, Communities First was either driving it or, or nothing was. Else, yeah. And so it becomes almost beholden to the, to the needs of the programme and money and effort and in-kind support and energy you know, these programmes can become a bit of a black hole in that regard and they suck it in, the money follows the programme rather than following the needs of, of the community. And I think, mm. frankly, within Communities First, essentially there's been a trade-off. You can get involved with the programme, we can maybe do some things with for you and with you, but there has to be basically a commitment on your part to change your behaviour in relation to work and employment. And, of course, there's plenty of people out there who don't want to work, don't need to work, too old to work, too infirm to work, have caring responsibilities... I think we've, yeah. we've, we've struggled outside of that very narrow constituency of economically inactive and who, frankly, you know, might well be better off being economically active. 
yeah, for the motivation it brings and from the, the social networks that were developed through work, etc. But we've lost sight of some of the other constituent parts of, of communities. Yeah. And so on that basis, the programme is probably right to change. To change or to indeed go. And you know, there is still some uncertainty as to what's going to replace it. But for me, it is that empowerment, potential empowerment agenda. But I'm kind of interested in if regeneration is around some of these physical sort of changes and enhancements, it's around the paving, it's around the roads and flower hanging baskets and, and all those sorts of things. What if people, once they are empowered, having been empowered, mm-hmm. or they're on a spectrum they're on a spectrum of empowerment then and they're going in some sort of positive yeah. direction. Yeah. What if they start challenging those orthodoxies that exist within within that, where you're involving people from the private sector, you're involving kind of sort of hybrid arrangements across sectors, companies set up expressly to regenerate? At what point does that empowerment actually become a bit of a nuisance to some of those interests? Because there will be different priorities being articulated. And I honestly wonder whether the regeneration more at that strategic level or the traditional form of regeneration, whether actually empowerment is a bit of a nuisance. And so you end up getting these inherent tensions being delivered and designed into government approaches, but there, there should be other approaches. Yeah. It shouldn't just be the government approach, and the government approach should be more of an enabling one, one would argue. As I said to you before we started, for me, you can't have effective regeneration, i.e. sustainable development, unless you've got community regeneration and community development mm. taking place. They're mutually exclusive terms. You are regenerating something, yeah, but you are not re- regenerating that place. Yeah, if you if you only concentrate on the physical, so I take your point. It can be, it potentially there can be conflicts taking place, but for me it comes back to evidence. Right. It comes back to this consensus around both in terms of qualitative and quantitative engagement. What are the evidenced priorities? Okay, so you will always have a different point of view from a, a mother and toddler group. Mm. through to uh, a, a small medium-sized enterprise you will always have a difference of opinion they're both members of that community mm. they both draw on their resources from that community but unless there's that shared consensus around what are the deficits in this area uh, and the strengths as well mm. but what are the deficits and how are we going to tackle them and how are we going to know we've tackled them so for me it's all about the evidence base and that's why I've always championed the need to invest data's there mm. yeah it's all there they invest in actually compiling it in a clear transparent and user-friendly way so that you know, mm. much more use of infographics now you know yeah, some of the yeah, software yeah, packages yeah, yeah and I, I, you know, I, I, the work i did in in Clinically, rural area was so powerful that within a community of seven wards yeah and there was such a spectrum you know some communities first area, mm-hmm, some not mm-hmm. there was such a spectrum of life experience the, the communities in each of those areas, once they were shown, you know, in in, a, in, a, in an accessible way, exactly what the different life experiences their neighbours mm. were experiencing, there was a motivation and agreement to say, yeah, absolutely, that's a priority that's got to be dealt with. Yeah. So, for me, that use of, and, and it's got to be up to date uh, consultation and engagement as well. So this whole idea of community involvement as much as community development, that's you know, a discipline and an investment in its own right. Mm. So the way in which you present information, the way in which you continue to re- report on progress, yeah, that whole narrative has been lacking, really, from a professional perspective. And until we actually crack that involvement agenda, and that's why the community, again, 
the involvement plans from the clusters. Yeah, yeah. you know that, that 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 idea of setting out best practice of how you involve communities and taking their own agenda forward and tackling and coming back to them. All of that effort and and thought process and investment in working with communities to now know not have that. I know of a couple of areas where people themselves on some of these boards, these cluster boards that were the means for the channels of involving people but certainly getting reports on progress and being updated but also being able to provide a challenge. I know that a couple of those, uh, Wrexham comes to mind, are looking at what their potential future is in relation to the to the Wellbeing of Future Generations Act. Right. So they're no longer needed as part of Communities First because yeah. Communities First is going, but they are an apparatus for something else. Yeah. yeah? Now, whether that gets layered with some governance, which brings with it inevitably some bureaucracy, you yeah. know, is for them to decide. And yeah. I think what's really fascinating from one of the things I'm aware of is, is taking place up in Wrexham is that the local authority is essentially saying, well, you, you tell us what you think your future is or how you think you can contribute. And that, for me, is, is one of the building blocks of empowerment. It's, it's in no way the empowerment. It's in no way some sort of polished, finished product of that. It's actually the very, very start of that process that says, well, OK, well, let's have a conversation about what your future might entail in respect of a piece of legislation. And in a democracy, that matters. And it is more, it is, it is, it is broader and potentially more far-reaching um, than, than, than just a programme. Programmes come and they go and they get replaced and, mm-hmm. and so on. Absolutely. And I think potentially that, I, I'm particularly keen on that piece of work to happen and to kind of stay close to it and tune into it because because I think it might be quite instructive an experience. I, I kind of um, hoped, you know, and, and this characterises my naive simplicity, if you like, that's, that's, that's always bedeviled me. I kind of hoped that all of that infrastructure would be recognised, for example, by a town or a community council as being a very short and quick way of becoming a much more um, community-centred organisation. The fact that that was there and that it would potentially was disappeared, they would see the value in actually gathering it in. <laughs> How naive is that, isn't it? You know, the idea that, um, you know, take an example of Neath Town Council, just, uh, just, just for illustrative purposes, and seeing all that investment's gone into the Fairyland community involvement agenda, the idea that in order to be more responsive to their residents in their area, to actually sustain that in some way yeah. and have an interaction with that, because they're the ones that need it. They're the mm-hmm. ones who are elected to change their town and improve their town. The guys sitting down in Bagland, Neath Batalba County, they've got all of these different places to worry about. And hey, who's to say this still could happen? If you use the Wrexham example, you know, it could still happen. Yeah, yeah, and I think they're key agents for this empowerment to happen. But I think fundamentally at the heart of that has to be a community development approach which allows for the mediation of conflict as and when it arises, yeah. and it will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's something I've, I've said in other papers in a work capacity. Do we have to front up and kind of go, fundamentally you're talking about the reconfiguration of, of, of power inequalities yeah. and taking power off, off the people here or this organisation here and giving it to somebody else has inherent tensions yeah. and, and conflicts will, will, will happen. Yeah. Yeah. Now, where that happened in the early days of Communities First, for instance, and I know similar examples, uh, I've heard any number of anecdotal instances within New Deal in England and, and, and so on. Where that's happened, I think it was always disappointing that that Welsh Government perhaps sided with the status quo arrangements, hmm. didn't want to upset the apple cart too much. Hmm. 
So we want some empowerment, but not too much. Mm. How much of this do you actually want to see? Mm. It looks great on paper. Mm. And there might be a degree of political expediency to talk about empowered communities. And, and it can appeal across the spectrum, of course. You know, it can be, it can be left of centre, right of centre, like empowered communities, because it's a bloody nose to the market and the private sector for the left. But for the right, it, it chimes with a, a smaller state and entrepreneurialism. Yeah. So it can be politically expedient and leave itself very difficult to be challenged in yeah. that respect. It, yeah. it wrong foots the traditional kind of political opponents in the spectrum. But I genuinely wonder whether people actually want it to happen and whether when people begin to see, actually, I know what this means for me, when that begins to happen, then people kind of go, oh, hang on a minute. Yeah. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, so, empowerment. You know, I was all right for it okay, yeah, when I thought it meant X. Let, or it was it was only going to apply to those over it, there. It, it all goes back. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately, it always goes back to the role of politicians. Yeah? We had all of those issues around the concept of QE's first being a challenge to, and as a result, needed to mediate its approach to the Labour political hierarchy, you know, whether that's a national or local level. Went through all of that learning, if you like. So the idea now that you know, empowered communities, again, are still the aspiration, how that articulates itself then in terms of communities that are managing a, an ever-challenging resource environment and are needing to become more innovative and, and more responsive to, to local needs yeah, because they've got less resource. Um, how that then translates into a changed mindset of local politicians... I don't know. I mean, I would expect, as with all groups of people, more younger, more innovative, more forward-thinking politicians that have empowerment as a sense of uh, a worthy aspiration for their community are now starting to come through the ranks, you would expect. So to impose a everyone will be empowered is never going to work. Yeah. So it, it, it comes back to the capacity of those local agents within community, the organising community, if you want to call them that, and the political community, how they can empower together an approach that enables them to change and better manage and become more resilient yeah, to tackle the challenges they face. Yeah? And I, I think that's really exciting. I'm getting to grips with it in the Isle of Wight, believe it or not, because in that sense, and I was going to touch on this in, in a Welsh context as well, going back to the physical regeneration agenda, I saw... The whole issue of the land use planning and what happens where within the... I've always been fascinated mm. by that. So why would you build X number of houses there and X number of square thousand foot of, of industrial premises there? There's a whole you know, professional discipline called planning that makes those calls based upon you know, various planning policies, rights to policies, yeah? Now, what's kind of always been puzzled me is why all this kind of is done over here in this kind of mm, box mm, over mm, here mm, and, and has no interrelationship with mm. all of that stuff over here, economic development, community development, whatever it might be. So when we were starting to develop the place plan narrative on the back of the well-being agenda, because yeah, yeah. well-being will look at land use planning very much as you know, sustainable development land use planning, that's, that's the core element. What happens where? How many more houses do we need? Mm, do we need mm. a green glass tunnel? That's what they get preoccupied about. You've got a whole set of local development plans across Wales. I'm not sure everyone's got one now, but you know, they got they can only be they're reviewed once every five years. But they're a whole county level. Mm. Within them, you get references to key town centres and, and what and what. But what they do is they set a narrative for change 
in those communities. Mm -hmm. So the idea that a community of whatever type has little, if any, input to what happens in this community, i.e. how many more houses, what type do we need over the next five to ten years, how many jobs, what types of jobs do we need, what kind of um, transport infrastructure exists here, and, and can we get around here. All of these things are fundamental mm -hmm. to the quality of life and the progress mm -hmm. of local communities. Mm -hmm. So for me, uh, I'm, I'm really excited about the IOI because just changed the um, political <coughs> landscape there and the new administration because they've got an issue about um, the current local plan. They've asked for a review of the local plan. They're very signed up to what you might call the growth agenda. So more jobs, more houses, yeah, in order to get more balanced communities. That's their vision, if you like, mm -hmm. for Ireland. So for me, there's a probably, again, once-in-a-career opportunity to link this land-use review with a bottom-up, you know, area-based regeneration thought process within those communities, yeah? grounded in evidence base, grounded in effective consultation and dialogue. Yeah? So in an English context, you've got these things called neighbourhood plans, where the NIMBYs of the world get together and decide that they don't want any more housing in their area. So they write a plan which says why they don't need any more housing in their area. Right. And that has got to be given due recognition then in this county local plan process. You've got a number of these, not many on the, on the Isle of Wight, affluent communities taking control of their area, making sure that their current life experience doesn't change that much. Yeah? But obviously in the areas that we might be interested in, dockside communities, deprived estates, there's no neighbour plan narrative as such. So I want to create that. Mm -hmm. I want an area regeneration approach that takes account of some of these neighbourhood plans, but also the communities that haven't got the resources or the wit to actually write that neighbourhood plan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in terms of then the regeneration, yeah, the opportunity of linking um, the land use narrative to the community narrative is, for me, fundamental. There's been this development of a, an approach particularly driven by resource pressures around something called local area coordination so the way in which health and social care works with communities to use the assets within a community to actually address the, you know, the, the pressures that they're potentially facing in an aging population in, in health you know, health sensitive population areas so I think the development in Monmouthshire for example of that approach linked to again the place plan based approach at a sub-county level that's got potentially lots of legs under this well-being agenda, a well subset of well-being plan agenda in Wales. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you bring in that kind of area-based thinking to that local area coordination is about, not local county coordination. And I was party to a conversation, indeed a podcast, in a different capacity with an organisation called Planet in Pembrokeshire. Yeah, echoes a lot of what you were you were saying there. Right, you know, a lot of diversity within the area of Pembrokeshire. Yeah, totally. You know. Um, culturally, socially, linguistically, yes. urban, rural, and, and, and so on. And again, that the local element, the local area element to that was, was absolutely key. But the, it, the scale or the geography of that almost finds its own natural yeah. level a little bit as yes. well. Yeah. And I think that's what fundamentally you've got to have with all of this is, is letting people find, and it might take a little bit of time in some communities, find that kind of natural natural level and it won't be a one-size-fits-all indeed it, 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 it can't be and I think I think most kind of policymakers kind of get that now but it's it, unfortunately it's too woody 
Well, okay. Right? For a national government program based approach. Uh, but I think that'll be the driver for this localism. Localism, that's the word. Localism. Which gets used a lot more in England than it does in, in Wales. Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm heartened by a lot of what you've said, but certainly that the bit towards the end of that conversation around I'd like to think maybe it's your your community and background and grounding and principles being applied in a, in a much more senior strategic director role but you're talking about how trying to sort of almost kind of reconfigure some of the traditional arrangements where planning discussions happen over here discussions about other things that matter to people happen over here and trying to sort of join those and inhabit in that space you know I've always I've always in my mind thought of community development is trying to find those gaps uh, whether it's between sectors between departments between silos we often yeah. talk about yeah. and it, it sounds like without maybe sort of stretching that kind of parallel or, or that metaphor that that's kind of what you're what you're doing a little bit here trying to sort of bring together some of those traditional sort of local I say local authority it's a bit broader than that but those disciplines of the public sector then t- together yeah naive simplicity is what you called it that might be the strap line for, for this one maybe there's a lot of uh, of naive simplicity in this but um if you don't have ideals then um <laughs> then you can never achieve anything i don't suppose it'd be lovely to keep in touch yeah to see whether there's a, a continued divergence policy wise or in terms of approach or yep. or some of the other things happy to speak to anybody that, that wants to follow up on anything arising from the conversation contact details will be on the, the web page yeah. and anyone who doesn't know the geography of wales will be probably bamboozled by the range of, of places <laughs> we've referred to actually <laughs> bringlass avan pembrokeshire thanetley yeah. wrexham i've been blessed um, i really have so. been blessed you know, as i say you know, from the work i've done both in, in a range of capacities i think i've worked in every single authority in wales mm. in some capacity or other and seeing so much potential. So, wish you all the best in the Isle of Wight. I know it's relatively early days there for yeah. you. I said it'd be lovely to keep in touch. Yeah. Until next time, Dilchvaud. Quick bit of housekeeping for some previous podcasts. The last one we did was with the Prisoners Education Trust and Jamie Grundy, freelance sort of education prison a practitioner. Um, we were joined by Claire from the Welsh Project and by Mike, an ex-prisoner himself who um, has, has um, benefited from sort of pet support to um, you know, complete sort of journalism courses and was very much able to talk first-hand experience about the value of education as a way of empowering people to make more positive choices about themselves. But also, I felt, to, to look at some of the circumstances that they found themselves in and to, and to recognise where changes could be made and to challenge and inequalities or some of the difficult circumstances that they found themselves in which I think is the heart of a lot of, um, of community development practice. Uh, prior to that, and we also mentioned sort of VVP, Vibrant Viable Places, it came up uh, just now speaking to Chris. Uh, we talked about that with the uh, Merthyr Town Football Club. They were the beneficiaries of some of that regeneration money and how they were using that and how they were reaching out into the community. Indeed, there was the women's football taking place on the day we visited, walking football for older people, very much addressing uh, you know the well-being agenda there. And so that was fascinating to see up close. Uh, and there's others on the website. Give us a follow on Twitter at comdevt podcast, C-O-M-M-D-E-V-T, uh, also on LinkedIn. Welcome to new followers. And until next time, where we will be talking about uh, social capital with uh, Andy Green and Mark Hooper, wish you all the very best.